Well, we're continuing our series on John the Baptist. He's certainly an interesting personality that the New Testament speaks of. He is a uh, quirky guy uh, who lives out in the wild and uh, dresses uniquely and eats uniquely. He has a very unique beginning, the way that uh, he was even conceived, we see at the very beginning of his life. He, and that even comes after the prophecy that was spoken of him hundreds of years before that. And when he finally shows up and begins doing what God has called him to do, he has a radical message. There was one that wasn't just people-pleasing to the people of that day in society, and it still isn't for us here today. We talked about last week, his message is he shows up and he tells religious people, you need to repent. You need to get your lives right. He tells people that are searching for God, you need to repent. You need to get your lives right. And this all results as a, a, a response because he has a perspective of who God is and who he is. And he knows that God is doing something in his life. Very simply put, that's worship. When we can see who God is and we see ourselves for who we are and we respond to God in light of that perspective. That's worship. Today we're going to be talking about John the worshiper. Not just John the Baptist. He got the title Baptist, not because he went to a Baptist church, but because he baptized people. Uh, but he is ultimately a worshiper. Now, worship is a term that many of us are familiar with. It's not uncommon, especially in regards to church and a faith community. We often use it uh, maybe too specifically, because sometimes when we think of worship, we think, well, that's the three songs that the band just let us in, right? That's when we open up a hymnal and, and sing a song. That's worship, the song that we sang, but really it's, it's much broader than that. Uh, even we, we use it generically in, in other ways. I mean, once you meet that perfect woman, like I did back in 1994 uh, in, in my class at Texas Tech, you might say when, when she sweeps you off your feet, guys, that you worship the ground that she walks on. We might even say uh, when you're a fanatic about your team, if your team is still playing in March Madness and you're getting excited about it, you might say you worship that team. And we understand that culturally. We understand we don't literally worship the ground someone walks on. We don't literally worship a team. We understand that in the context of culture. But biblically, when we're talking about worship, scripturally, what does that look like? Uh, author, pastor, theologian John Piper describes it this way Worship is valuing God above all things, which affects every part of our lives. It's the way we see God and the way we respond to Him. We see some great examples of this in John the Baptist's life. Today, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, speak of John the Baptist. Uh, and the Gospel of John is written by John 
the apostle, not John the Baptist. And so just to clarify those two Johns uh, that are in the Bible. So today I want to look at a section from Matthew and a section from John, and then we're going to go back and break down some of the worship that is in those two sections. So I'm just going to read these two sections for you here. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice of heaven said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. John the Baptist is John the worshiper. The same should be said of us. If your name is John, you could apply that specifically. If your name is not John, you can fill in your own name. I should be Adam the worshiper. That should, if we are a believer... That should absolutely be said about our lives. So let's look at John's worship and see what his worship of Christ looked like. First of all, we see authentic worship in John's humility. In Matthew 3, 13 and 14, it said, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And in John 1, 26 and 27, he said, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. Remember, John is leading the way. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So Jesus comes to John to be 
baptized. Even Jesus himself was baptized. He comes to John to do that. John tries to stop him. He even explains to the crowd, hey, listen, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, yet he has come to me to be baptized. Now, in those days, people wore sandals. They did not have paved streets. It was dusty streets. When I go back home to West Texas, uh, we've got caliche roads, if you know what those are. And no matter how clean your car was, when you leave, it is going to be a lighter shade because your car is going to be covered in dust. Same way in the first century. Wherever you went, your feet would have been nasty when you arrived. So it was common culture that a servant would be provided whenever you got somewhere that would take your sandals off and would wash your feet. As common of an expectation as we would have to, please wash your hands before we eat, right? They would wash their feet. A servant would be there to wash their feet. And yet John's response is, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest servant that there is. The lowest servant would be assigned to the nastiest job, untying sandals and washing feet. And when Jesus shows up, he says, I don't even deserve to do that. John's humility sees who Jesus is and sees who he is himself. And his humility overflows. We can't authentically worship God when we're sitting on the throne of our own lives. Now we could say it sounds good as a concept to be humble. But then there's the reality of life where we want to be first. We try to advance ourselves and promote ourselves. And unfortunately, that's the culture that we live in today where that is celebrated. You should advance yourself and move yourself forward and make life revolve around you. You can even be the star of your own show and your biggest fan all at the same time these days. Maybe we don't outright say it because it feels selfish, but it can be a default for all of us to make ourselves the top priority. And John's response of worship is one of humility. We see authentic worship in John's understanding of who God is and who he himself is. The Sadducees and Pharisees, the Levites, they show up, the religious leaders, they show up and they say, we want to know who you are. Because when John's preaching, there are literally thousands of people coming to hear this strange character. So they send the religious authority to say, Hey, we want, some, we want some identification. We want to know who you are and what you're all about. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? And he, his response is, I'll tell you who I am. Because all you religious guys know that prophecy from the Old Testament. John understood who he was. He understood the role that he played in God's story. He responds... John 1, 23, John replied to their words of, with the words of uh, the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. John says, you remember that prophecy from hundreds of years ago that you're all familiar with because you're all waiting on the Messiah. I am 
the one that was prophesied that would come before Jesus. John sees his calling and his purpose as a part of God's greater story. You may or may not be clear on what your calling and purpose is, but I can assure you this. The reason you are alive and breathing on this planet is because you have a place and a purpose in God's story. And for us to worship, we need to begin to see, God, who am I? I think one of the prayers I pray for my children most often is, God, let them see themselves the way that you see them. And if you could see yourself the way that God sees you, it could change everything. It will make us a worshiper when we see ourselves the way that God sees us. We see authentic worship in John's obedience. He's obedient to baptize Jesus even though he doesn't feel worthy of it. Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tries to deter him. He says, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Then Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. John obeys, even though it's a challenge for him to do so. You know, John could have said, hey, I'm here, I'm preaching the message I'm supposed to be preaching, but I can't do that. That's just too much of an ask for me to do. If you're a parent, you understand this concept very much. It's this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Right? You ask your children to clean their room and get ready for bed and brush their teeth. You go see them in a few minutes and say, did you do what I ask? I brushed my teeth. That's partial obedience. It's still not obedience. John worships Christ, worships God in his complete obedience. Unfortunately for John, that's ultimately going to end up in his death. For all of us, this is a challenge. Because we tend to tell ourselves, well, I did enough. I obeyed enough. I was pretty good. I did most of the things that God wants me to do. I went to church. I sang a song. Okay, not the giving part. Okay, let's take that out. We just want to go through the buffet and pick the parts that we like. Where God says, I want your full obedience. Next, we see that we see authentic worship in John's understanding of who Christ is. John sees himself correctly. He also sees God for who he is. John chapter 1, 29 and 30. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me, has surpassed me, because he was before me. John is doing his thing, and thousands of people are showing up to hear what he has to say. It's got to make anybody feel good about themselves, right? But as he sees Jesus coming, he says, take your eyes off of me and put your eyes on 
that man. John even has his own disciples, people who have committed their lives to following him and listening to his teaching. And he says, no, 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 it's Jesus. He's the one that we need to have our eyes on. And it's because John recognizes who he is. You cannot value something above all else if you know so little about it, you can't recognize it. And unfortunately, we can be religious people and live in a state where we don't recognize who God is or what He is doing. My, one of my sons, Nate, as many of you know, is blind, but he has an incredible ability of recognizing voices. Even a few nights ago, we went on a walk in our neighborhood, and uh, a neighbor several houses down said, oh, hi, Nate, and he immediately responded with that person's name, how he puts that all together. And this was a neighbor that he knows from school, not from the neighborhood, but he recognized that voice. And when we can recognize who God is, it causes us to be a worshiper. Does anybody recognize this next picture we have? Anybody know who that is? Go ahead and shout it out loud. Billy the Kid. That's right. This particular picture, you recognize that because it's probably the holy grail of Old West memorabilia, right? Whoever found this particular picture. It's famous for who he was and how he lived and his story back in those days. I actually heard this was one of Al Hasler's first cases as a young trial attorney. (laughs) Uh, but I don't, uh, Tiffany and I have started uh, watching a funny show that's on Netflix called Swap Meet, uh, Swap, Swap Shop. Uh, that, that's, uh, it's about pickers who go to yard sales and such and find these amazing things. It looks so easy when you watch the show, right? But true story, a picker was in a junk store in California not too long ago and found this next picture Uh, which just looks like a a neat old picture, right? It was printed on tin. Bought the picture for $2. Thought it looked neat. And began looking closely at the picture. And because this person knew historically areas and, and some specific details, that person thought this could be the regulators if you've watched uh, the Billy the Kid movies the gang of guys that Billy the Kid ran with. And then he began to look a little closer. We'll zoom in a little bit here for you. The guy on the left is Billy the Kid. That picture was later sold at auction for $5 million. $2, million. Why? Because the person looking was able to recognize what was there. And when we know who God is, you can recognize what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in your family, what he's doing in our culture. Unfortunately, so many times we're just oblivious to it. Now you may ask, how can we recognize that? Read your Bible and pray. It is that simple. If you will spend time in the word of God, you will learn his character. If you spend time in prayer, you will be like Nate who begins to recognize the voice of one you cannot see. We see in John's worship, 
we see his worship in his private and public acknowledgement of Christ. Worship is something that we do personally and privately as we go throughout our day, as we begin our day, as we end our day. It's also something we do publicly, corporately, as we gather together. One without the other is not complete worship. If we worship when we gather here together, but then the rest of our lives have no worship, we're not truly a worshiper. If we worship at home and think, well, that's good enough, but we never gather together as the body of Christ, we're missing part of what God has called us to and what John calls us to. John said, behold the Lamb of God, and it says in verse 32, and he bore witness. He told everybody, this is the one. Privately acknowledging who God is, is worship. It's faith. It's spiritual discipline in our lives. Publicly acknowledging who God is, is worship. It's testimony. It's fellowship with one another. John 1, 35 and 36 says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by again, he says, Look, the Lamb of God. So my challenge to all of us, if you know Christ, if you're searching for what truth is, the answer to experiencing God to seeing Him work in ways that we never could have imagined. Let's be worshipers. You see, worship is a response to who God is and to what He is doing. Now, make a quick mental note here. None of the aspects that I just listed about worship have anything to do with music. Now, music is great. It is a tool to express our worship privately and corporately. That song that we sang, Here I Am, You Can Have It All, that is a beautiful expression of our worship. But worship is not the music that happens from this stage. Worship is your response to God every day and everywhere that we go. May our lives respond to God so that we can experience Him and we can help others find and follow Jesus. John came to prepare the way for Christ. When we worship, we prepare the way for God moving in our hearts, our families, and our community. Let's pray. God, we worship You. Our response to who you are and what you're doing. Lord, some of us may feel a million miles away from you. Our response is to say we need help. We need forgiveness. We need, we need truth and direction and understanding. Some of us may feel very close to you. God, our response, like John the Baptist, is let me decrease even more so you can increase even more in our lives. Lord, today, we want to welcome you into our hearts as worship. 
whether it's for the first time or maybe you've prayed this prayer long ago, I encourage you in your heart and in your own words to pray a simple prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. May my life declare who he is. May you help me to see myself the way that you see me. And God, may everything in my life respond to who you are. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation. Help me to live my days for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you would like somebody to pray for you, we'll have some of our prayer team up here today, and we would love to pray for you personally. If we haven't had a chance to meet you yet, we'd love to do that as well. But I want to pray this blessing over you uh, that has been prayed over people since all the way back in the Old Testament. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.